I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are on the, still the first quarter of 2021, we studying sure the book of Isaiah. This week, Lesson 10, titled, Doing the Unthinkable. This covers some of the most familiar, yet still, every time you look at it, powerful content in the book of Isaiah. Mm -hmm. Now, there's been a lot of good stuff before, but this is, you know, the suffering servant and, and the sacrifice of Christ, and it's so important. This is a central pillar of our faith, and so this is a lot in this. In fact, yes. Pastor Howard, it doesn't cover lots and lots of chapters, but there's enough content in here that I would imagine there's multiple... There's uh, still a span of chapters, and there's just always so much yes. in all of Isaiah. So we, we, we've said this before, we're not going to be able to... Um, and our purpose in Talking Points isn't to plumb the depths of these right. passages, but at least to bring out thoughts that, that you could hopefully bring out a little bit more fully in Sabbath School class. And we'll get into this a little bit more when we look at the three points and why they are and which, you know, how much priority should you give to them. Because in this lesson, yes. I feel that there are some points more important than others, even though they're all important. It's almost like point. one big point in a way. A little bit, but uh, we're not whittling it down to one. We're still going to have three points, but we'll get into that in a second. Let's uh, actually start with a word of prayer, and then, Pastor Howard, you can walk us through the three points. Can we Absolutely. Do that? All right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to study together as a church family. Thank you for the scripture that you give us, and thank you for the Christ that it reveals to us. Lord, help us to see him more clearly through our study today and proclaim him more boldly. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. What are our talking points? Well, our lesson spans Isaiah 50 to 50, the end of 53, and um, the, the quarterly actually leaves 51 pretty well out. And I just have a hard time when I'm going through. This has been a, a nightmare of trying to go through Isaiah and leave big sections out or... Just unaddressed at all. Yeah. But I understand why. They're just so full. There's so much stuff in it. So what I've done is I've drawn out three points. There's one that, as I read through Isaiah 51, even though it wasn't in the reading, but it was in that sandwiched in between there, and I wanted it for context, um, I drew a point out that isn't in the quarterly. So what we basically have in our three talking points is, number one, our salvation was Jesus' choice. I think this is an important point. It's huge. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time to spend on it, but we... Uh, this is drawn primarily from Sunday's lesson in Isaiah chapter 50. And then our talking point number two is that God is on our side. This is drawn largely from Isaiah chapter 51 with the lead-in. And then our third point, which really encompasses, and you'll notice in our notes, God is on our side, there's nothing by that from the quarterly. You get to number three, Christ gave himself for our sins is what I called it. Yeah. And it covers Monday through Thursday. Basically, the well, not only the that, but if you have the uh, you know the, the the handout here, the study notes, you'll see that number one takes up this piece of the page. That's number right. two is even more. Number three starts. So you've got all three on the front page. No, no, no. That's Turn right. it over. Boom. And I don't want to give too much away, but there's a subsequent <laughs> page of notes that goes along with it. So because I couldn't fit these in here. Exactly. So s clearly, one and two are important points, and they have been hit on in other parts of Isaiah. But that third point where. I didn't even said it already, but Christ yes. gave himself for our sins is so central to this lesson and to the entire plan of redemption. It is so pivotal that it becomes the lion's share of this week's study. So, um, did we pray? 
We did pray. <laughs> we did pray, and you've now gone over the food right. talking. So we're ready to go into these because we've only got so much time on the clock. And we always, just so that you guys know, we always have prayer before we start. And I know we did that, but then I'm thinking, was that the prayer before or was it during? Anyway, well, yeah, let's think, move I'm on. Sure we got it covered. Let's move on with talking point number one. Our salvation was Jesus' choice. When you go into Isaiah chapter 50, what you see is, as the Lord introduces it, and then the, the actual, the quarterly picks us up in verse 4, where it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak. These are the words of the Messiah speaking to his people. God's people are in captivity, and the Lord is now talking to them about the mission that he is undertaking as Messiah. And the, the standout points are when you come to verse 5, he says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. Uh, contrasting that with the, his people who are in captivity because of their rebellion. Then he says, um, Nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and know that I will not be ashamed. Now, there's so much more that could be covered here, but the idea is these, these, these experiences he's talking about that we saw Christ go through with being struck, uh, the plucking out of the beard, the spitting on the face, are extreme uh, uh, demoralizing, d disgraceful things to do to somebody, demeaning things to do. And yet what the Lord is saying is, I'm going to go through this knowing ahead of time that they're going to treat me this way, but I'm not going to be disgraced by it. I'm not going to be deterred by it. In other words, I'm setting my face like a flint. This is telling us about Jesus' own determination yes. to come to become the sacrifice for the, the, his lost children. And two things stuck, uh, strike out, uh, stick, stick out to me here. And this stuck out and struck you. It, it snuck up and struck <laughs> me and hit me. Right. As a, yeah. But when we were discussing this earlier, you know, the lesson brings out the point how like turning the back and, and, and plucking out the beard and spitting on in the Middle East, that's known as disgraceful. Friends, I believe this is good for all time. <laughs> this is a universal <laughs> truth that clearly this is dishonorable, disgraceful, you know. Uh, abuse that he's taking here, but that in yeah, spite of that... I think about anywhere in the world, if you spit exactly, in somebody's face... Nobody's going to be like, oh, thank you for the <laughs> yeah. compliment. But the point is that in spite of that universally understood degradation, right, he then said, it doesn't just say, but I was sent, so I had to go through this thing. The active choice is, I'm doing this, you know, and, you know, it reminds me of Psalm 40, uh, verse 6 and 7, where it says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Verse 7, the key. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will. That's so it's right. not just the God the Father had this plan. You were plan looking and, at the Psalms? Yes, yeah, Psalm of course, 40. in Hebrews, Paul applies that very clearly. Like that was That's the, the mindset of yeah. Jesus. And so it's not just that God had a plan that Jesus begrudgingly went through right. and went through the motions. Jesus was partnering with it saying, That's I'm exactly volunteering right. to go. This is the part of our mindset. That's and right. So, and again, the, 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 the setting his face as a flint, not only did he, did he, was he going to go, it, he wasn't surprised by the way he was treated. He knew... Right how he would be treated shamefully, and in spite of that, he chose. in the face of that, right. he was determined that nothing would deter him from his mission, which is powerful. Beautiful. And we're going to see that unfold as we go on. Right. Now, there's a great verse in uh, verse 11 of chapter 50 where it talks about the walking in the sparks of your kindling. We just don't have time to get into it, but 
Ellen White uses this phrase a lot over about over. us ha trying to have things our own way instead of yielding to God's way. I'd encourage you to do a little study on that mm -hmm. phraseology in Ellen, White, in Ellen White's writings and study the passage out. Our second talking point uh, is drawn out of when we, when we move into Isaiah chapter 51, the Lord begins in this character of Messiah of promising not just his immediate release from their or rescue from their captivity in uh, uh, Babylon at this point um, where it's being foretold, but where he's going to restore his people, verse 3, and, and he's going to make her wilderness like Eden. Like he's talking about the restoration that's going to come, not just to his people, because as he goes on, he talks in verse 5 of chapter 51, my righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. So he's talking about the Gentile nations. He's talking about every, the Gentiles coming in in the final establishment of his eternal kingdom. He goes on to talk about how his righteousness will not be abolished, uh, his salvation, his righteousness in verse 8 will be forever. So in all of this, in this context, um, he says in verse 10, um, Are you not the one, and now Isaiah speaking, Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep that made the depths of the sea erode? Speaking about the parting mm -hmm. of the Red Sea and deliverance. And he, For and the he redeemed uses that, to cross over, yeah. For the redeemed to cross over, verse 11, so, or in the same way, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing and of course... <laughs> I was like, if, if there's any Sabbath school teacher out there worth your salt, at this point in the study, you will either lead out or have someone <laughs> sing that classic song, therefore the redeemed of the Lord, right? And come but, with singing. Oh, there you go. And I just want to bust in the song, the harmony, get the guitar out and everything. But think about the, the, the that weight of that, you know, and of course the song is stuck in our heads if you, you know, yes. been a good Adventist around a campfire at some point, but it's drawn from this where it's talking about the joy that will come for those who follow the Lord through this redemption path that he's That's carving right. out and come back to... to Again, hearkening know. back to the deliverance from Egypt, from slavery, but In now the same from, way. The, from right. the slavery of sin. Right. And the, the ransom shall return with singing, you know, the kind of singing and joy of being free. Right. And then in verse 12, he says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of man who will die or the son of man who mm. will be like grass and forget the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens? And he goes on several times in chapter 51 to talk about his power as God and then basically how he is on the side of his people. And that's mm. what struck me, you know, throughout all of this, Jesus making that choice and setting his face like flint and then this talk about the new earth and, and the redeemed coming, yeah. that he's he's... Like, if God is for us, as Paul yeah, makes applications, who can be against us? What, why are we worrying? And that's what he's asking here. I'm on your side. Well, and it reminds me, through this whole Isaiah study that we've done, how many times does the Lord contrast his own divinity versus the, right. the the futility of these other so-called gods or, you know, sparks of your own kindling. That worm, and he, oh, Jacob. And he talks about, like, I'm created this thing. Yes. I'm in charge of things now. I'm the one who's got the plan for the future. Everybody else is going to die. I'm eternal life. That's like right. So, and I was just thinking, as we talked earlier about, like, you know, if the Lord tarries, I'm going to die. And who's going to watch over my children? Well, the same God who watched over me and who watched over my parents. Like, he's on the throne yesterday, today, and forever. And so Jesus then comes, getting back to our point about the suffering servant, he, you know, the, especially in the final hours, once he gets to Gethsemane, he doesn't see through the portals of the tomb, but he knows 
she can trust the father and his plan because he, even though he now is stuck in this frail humanity and this this terrible circumstance mm -hmm. there is someone on the throne so the very thing that he was telling the children of Israel to rely on he comes and himself relies on and demonstrates the victory. That's right. It's and incredible. what's awesome, you don't have any kind of like, well, now if this all works out, the people <laughs> are going to come hope. and we're going to be singing. But yeah. it's just very, look, I, it's going to, and I'm going to do it, and That's it's right. going to happen, and, and nothing's going to stop it. Amen. It's just powerful. Yeah. So that leads us into actually this, what's called the, the Suffering Servant Poem which actually begins in chapter 52 and verse 13. Now the Bible says, and I'm going to read through verse uh, chapter 53, verse 1. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. Now this is chapter 52. Oh, oh you're going to read, yeah. you're going to start yeah, yeah, in 52:13. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My servant shall deal prudently. He shall be very exalted and extolled and be very high, which, you know, you would expect. Like the servant, they know, the Jewish people know as they're reading, this is the Messiah. He's the coming king. He's going to be high. He's going to be exalted. That's what we expect yeah. of a king. But then notice where it turned. The gears kind of switch here. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred, his appearance more than any man, and his mm. form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. The idea of shutting their mouth is they won't have There's anything to say. to say. They're going yeah. to be astonished at what they see. It's not going to be what they expected from a king. For what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. And then in chapter 53 it continues, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So what he's getting into here is, this coming suffering servant, this, this coming king, he's going he's gonna to appear in a way that's going to be astonishing, and it's going to lead people to disbelieve, because surely <laughs> if he's a king, he wouldn't be suffering this way. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly what chapter 53 then goes, who has believed our report? Like, yes. how can this possibly be the thing? But that's exactly what he was talking and, about. And this is where the lesson is, you know, the whole lesson this week is doing the unthinkable. Like, mm -hmm. why would Christ come and then suffer the way that he did. That's unthinkable so much so. Again, kings shut their mouths. People are astonished. His visage is marred. It says, just as many were astonished at you. Mm. Um, so the idea is mm. he's going through this, this period of suffering. Now, before we, we, we dive further into this, you know, as we're delving into 53, I found it interesting that uh, in getting ready for this lesson, Isaiah 53 is one of the most powerful prophecies in the Bible. People have fought against it because of its clarity. Those who don't want to believe Jesus was the Messiah, I mean, Isaiah 53, as you're going to see, is so crystal clear. Uh, Albert Barnes, in his commentary on Isaiah 53, come, came away with three, a threefold observation that I've included in the notes. And this observation goes something like this. First of all, if the common interpretation of Isaiah 53 is correct and points to Christ as the Messiah, it proves the Jewish rejection of the Messiah, of Jesus as the Messiah, was false because he fulfilled these very behaviors. So they don't think this fits the, the Messiah. They think it fits somebody back in Isaiah's day. Well, beyond the Jewish nation, Barnes goes on in his next point of observation to say if the passage was written at the time it was claimed, around 750 B.C. and thereabouts, it settles all controversy with unbelievers. So not just the Jews, but for unbelievers, because it is so particular in the minutia of details, 
comprehensive in scope and accurate in fulfillment regarding the life of Christ, that it couldn't have been the result of conjecture or accident. <laughs> now, because it's so precise, there are some people who have said, well, it wasn't written back in 750 BC, or even if it was, um, the, the, the guy, Jesus of Nazareth, he was an imposter who just read and the said, prophecies. I'm going to model my life after that yeah, and all of a sudden be the Messiah. It. Right. And so Barnes makes the point that it, it would be impossible. The fulfillment couldn't be a work of an imposter seeking to act out the ancient prophecy, as some have claimed, because it would have been impossible to shape the course of events that are outlined in the prophecy. Yeah, there's, there's too many are, externalities yes. that he would be on his control. He just couldn't do it. He couldn't do it, yeah. So he's saying this is irrefutable evidence. Finally, he says a correct exposition of this passage gives the Christian a, full, a more full and complete view of the atonement and the whole doctrine of redemption. Mm. So we're going to draw some of that out as we highlight uh, the different verses of Isaiah 53. But let's remember that this was the very passage that compelled the Ethiopian eunuch mm. to become a Christian. Yeah, he said, who is Here's he water. Yeah. Uh, let's get baptized. Right. So this is, again, which That's brings Acts us to chapter the point. 8. Acts chapter 8, in yeah. fact, zeroing in verses 32 to 34 is where it, the Bible specifically says, this is the passage in the scripture. Well, and you think about, we're, we're kind of getting off on a tangent here, and I don't want to do that. And we wouldn't want to listen Sabbath school. We don't allow people to do that too much. But in Acts chapter 8, he had been up to Jerusalem. He'd been mm -hmm. worshiping in the temple, and he knew the Judaism stuff, but he knew there was this suffering servant to come. And he's like, right. is this just about Isaiah, or is there? And he says, well... And then from, he opened the scripture and preached Jesus to him, and that's where it locked him into the faith of Christ. Um, anyway, everything that we're about to cover now in this Isaiah 53, I would highly urge you to make this the centerpiece of your lesson study this week. Yeah. Um, there's just... Like, we have 30 minutes on the clock, and so you may say, well, you know, they went through those first points, but I'm going to spend more time. No, no, don't do it. That's what I'm spend saying. Spend no more than the if you have 30 10 minutes, minutes we've spend spent 20 on this. of it on this. If you, yeah. only, if you have an hour, spend two-thirds. So the bulk of it needs to be this, because it's so accurate. It's so to the point, and it's, un, I don't know, inconceivably clear that you could walk away and not have a deeper walk with Christ because of it. So, as we continue anyway. on, Isaiah 53, picking up that idea we've touched on a little bit, who has believed our report, it just was the, the concept of a coming king going through suffering was, was foreign to their minds and to anybody's mind. Like, if you've got a king, he's going to be your, your redeemer and your victor and your champion. You know, champions don't suffer and die. And so, it was an, it, it was an astonishment to begin with. Then it begins to describe his ministry. So verse 2, he shall grow up before well, him. Uh, before we go on, I, are you going to circle back to this? But I thought that was a great point that we talked about earlier, how the juxtaposition, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord yes, been revealed. Yes, yes, yes. Like the only people who would believe this report is the people who the arm of the Lord has been revealed yeah, to. Yeah, the like, quarterly brings that out maybe actually. Maybe it was in the quarterly, yeah. It's it Tuesday's lesson and it, and it, and yeah, it, it is. Yeah. shares that, as you mentioned, the juxtaposition, like who has believed our report and... To whom has the armor right. of the Lord been revealed? It's on the third paragraph on Tuesday at the bottom. It says, In this context, the parallel between the two questions implies that the Lord's arm or power of salvation is revealed to those who believe the report. So That's this right. you can only enter to the true experience of it by faith in the one who, who fulfilled exactly it in right. Jesus Christ. So that's an important point. That's exactly right. So you have to believe the report, but there's plenty of evidence to believe, as we're going to see some of it. Verse 2, uh, again, thinking about this being written around 750 B.C., thereabouts, 
The Bible's foretelling the coming of the Messiah. Verse 2 says, He shall grow up before him, his father, as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. A couple things are brought up there. He's going to grow up. He isn't coming as a grown man. Mm -hmm. He's growing up and enduring all the things that we endure. And I think of Luke chapter 2 where it says, he, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You have that growth process that's being foretold. And then this idea of a root out of dry ground. Mm. Well, and well, the comeliness and the whole... Th we didn't even cover this in the intro, Mark, and I, but let me just throw this in there. Mm -hmm. if, if people want to take the, you know, take another perspective on this, if you compare Isaiah 53, well, in the, end, the suffering servant thing that starts in 52 mm -hmm. and then into 53, about the ministry of Christ, how he comes from heaven, yeah. but he's sent down and he has no form or comeliness and he's mm -hmm. abused and all this kind of stuff, and but through his abuse and suffering, he is exalted finally. But you look at the difference where Satan, of course, Lucifer, exalts himself and is sent down. But he has all this beauty and all this kind of stuff, and he pride in his heart, and he's going to be sent. Like the the, the great controversy parallels in this mm -hmm. are astonishing too. And uh, anyway, I would be tempted if there's a whole way you could go with this lesson on that. I don't this, want to get into it, but this chapter so ought to be a couple weeks worth of lessons. It's so rich, yeah. So because it's it's really at the heart of Isaiah. Um, and it, it brings a lot of things together. But you together. were making a point in verse 2 about yeah, the root out of dry read, ground. Yeah, I was going to read, in fact, I've got in the, in the outline, there's a great statement that I wanted to read, but I'm just, we don't have the time here, but it's in the quotes about that suffering of Christ. And Ellen White uses that language, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. And we did talk as we were going over this that that visage being marred was not just his physical suffering, mm. but uh, I believe she applies that in one place, not this one particular, to what he looked like in Gethsemane after going through, yes. and in another place after the temptation in the wilderness. Well, I, I can tell words, you specifically that that is in Desire of Ages, page 685. And what's interesting here, it's paragraph 2, where, and 3, that several of the phrasings um, of Isaiah 53, she quotes not as applying to Calvary, and of course Calvary is where his physical death occurred right. in, the, in the sufferings, but before hand was laid on him, you can find this there, he was numbered with the transgressors, the iniquity was laid upon us all, uh, mm -hmm. of us all was laid on him, pierced his soul, crushing out his life. All of those Isaiah 53 phrases she applies to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's right. Being the idea that not, of course, she talks about Calvary too, and it was a physical torturous event, but she also says that the that the pain of the cross she was barely felt physically because of the, the, the agony of soul that he was under. And so that marring of him, yes, of course, was physical. But what made Christ's sacrifice so powerful was not merely the physical suffering he endured, which was tremendous, but it was the incomparable spiritual suffering that crushed out his life. Because, um, right. you know, he goes into Gethsemane and talks about, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. He's bleeding great drops of blood, mm -hmm. and not a hand has been laid upon him. That this is a spiritual dimension we can't even appreciate. Um, if we leave it just on the physical. That's right. And and that comes out as we look as we look through some of the points here yes. in Isaiah 53. Uh, again, just touch I was about to mention um, the no former comeliness is a great statement in Desire of Ages, page 43, where Elamite just comments that that Jesus purposed that no attraction of an earthly nature should call men to his side. Only the beauty of heavenly truth mm. must draw those who would follow him. And that's the true truth today. You know, we often think that we're going to get more people in our churches by making them more ornate and our services mm -hmm. more this, that, and the other. 
And, and there's nothing wrong with that inherently, no. but we forgot that the power to draw is in the character of Christ. Mm -hmm. Right. And so nothing Jesus, wrong with a good iconographic design, but the real thing has got to be content, right? That's right. In fact, Ellen White talks about how Christ would often be going places in his garments. She called them travel stained. Mm. You know, and we, uh, I mean, we just, yeah. no, and his draw, the draw to Christ was his character. So, but then it goes on to talk about a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So this mm -hmm. isn't talking about the physical suffering so much as, as the, the emotional uh, uh, suffering that, you know, Jesus experienced right. the same temptations and trials that we do and more so, far more so. Uh, as you mentioned, the anguish of the separation from his father on the cross. He knows what it's like. Well, if you to notice that. You know, acquaint, the idea of acquainted with grief. Well, there's a chronology to Isaiah 53, too, because you talked about how when he was sent, he didn't come in the right. adult form ready to go straight to the cross. He had to grow up. And, That's right. You know, and then he's. It, then it transitions in verses 3 and 4 about his public ministry, about how he related yep. to people and he felt their griefs and sorrows. And, you know, then, and he, he also healed them, right? He took their right. afflictions. Then it talks about how he's wounded. And then he talks about how it, basically it's a, it's a microcosm prophecy of the entire scope of Christ's earthly ministry. It's well, one of, the, one of the fascinating things about the passage is in verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Um, and it goes on to say in verse 4, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. So in other words, we look at him and it's like, I don't want to be associated with mm -hmm. him. He's lowly and he's not popular and he's this, that, and the other. And the point is being made in the passage that the reason he's not popular is because of your sin. In other right. words, I don't, I, I'm going to distance. We distanced ourselves as a people. We distanced ourselves as individuals from knowing, I don't want to confess Christ. There are people today who won't confess Christ mm -hmm. because they're, they don't want to be, Christianity is so embarrassing and it's going to make me look simple-minded. It's embarrassing because of you, you know? Well, you think about Peter, who, of course, was the one yes. who distanced himself and with cursing and whatnot. Then on the day of Pentecost, he's restored. And what does he preach to those people? Not only was the Messiah here and he happened to die, but you crucified him. That's right. But the onus is on our, our choices. Our sins did this to him. And this is very clearly brought out here. So, the, 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 you know, the man of sorrows, we, we hid our faces. You know, we didn't esteem him. Mm -hmm. But it was our, you know, we didn't esteem him because of his, like I said, all of these um, reproaches yeah. that were upon him. But he was carrying, he's borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. He was smitten by God for our transgressions. Mm -hmm. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace. And, and, and I love the wording of that. It's not the chastisement of our peace. It's for our peace. In other words, if, if there was any hope that we would ever have peace... He had to bear chastisement so we could have peace. Mm. Like all of this is just saying, you know, goes goes on to say, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. But the Lord and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So all of this is just mm -hmm. emphasizing that point. He didn't suffer for himself. He suffered for us. He was innocent. And we were guilty. Well, and then again, the chronology in verse 6, the laying the iniquitous on all, like Sister White puts in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then verse 7, he was uh, 
oppressed and he was afflicted. He did not open his mouth like the lamb before the slaughter. And this is a foreshadowing of his standing in the trial. Very right? clear and statements it, in the New Testament about right. him not opening his and, mouth and in trial. Was, and, and the reason was not because he didn't have an answer, but he's already given the answer. There's nothing right. more to say. So he's just like, let the evidence be what it is. And he's confident and quiet. And again, to foretold 150 years beforehand, but this is exactly how things laid out. And so, well, when not Philip just 150 could show, years. This is what did I say? 150? Yeah, 750. 750. Yes. That's huge. And so, when Philip could show this to the Ethiopian eunuch, for example, yeah. it's just like Here you go. just compelling evidence. Like Absolutely. he is the Messiah. Mm. You come to verse uh, nine, and it talks about how he was. Uh, his grave was with the wicked, but with the rich it is death. This doesn't happen. In other words, he's crucified between two thieves. He was uh, had this ignominious death, and yeah. he's get, put him away somewhere. You're not going to be buried in a in a rich noble. I mean, you read about yeah. the kings of Israel who were unfaithful, and they weren't buried in the tombs of the mm-hmm. kings. And yet Jesus, even though he's crucified between two thieves, then here comes Joseph of Arimathea mm-hmm. and puts him in a tomb, a new tomb. The Bible's very clear. Nobody was ever laid in a rich man's tomb just as prophecy had said. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that he did it is one thing, but the fact that it was foretold 100, right. 750 years And then you add in the beforehand. Psalms to that about his clothes not being torn, how they're going to gamble for his clothes. Right. He's going to be, you know, with the wicked at his death, but then he's going to be buried in the rich man's... Ma- this couldn't be faked, to go no. back to Barnes' point. It, it's only right. fulfilled in Christ. Now, then it makes that interesting thing in verse 10 to say it pleased the Father to bruise him. Well, this isn't... You know, the God is not a sadist. It, what this mm-hmm. is saying is that the Father and the Son had compacted together to save humanity. This was the mm-hmm. only way. And Jesus says in John 10, 17, Therefore the Father loves me because I lay my life down. In other words, it's this was the only way, and Jesus' willingness to do this was God's way of having his children restored to him. And mm-hmm. so I think of 2 Corinthians 5, where it says God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Father and Son were united. And in that sense, it pleased the Father to to bruise him. And then we mm. come down to the last couple verses. Well, it's like Zechariah 6, verse 13 says, And the counsel of peace shall be between them both. Right. The idea that but God wasn't just sending a son. They were in this united. That was your point. That's Go right. Ahead. Verse 11, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore... Because of his willingness to do this, because he's going to justify many, therefore I'll divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil. The idea of dividing a portion and, and the spoil, that's what a victor you does when he's won the yeah. battle. Yeah. right? And so what it's saying is he will come off victorious because of his willingness to go through this. Because he poured out his soul that's into right. death. And, and, it, and, the, and it keeps on. Because he poured out his soul to death. And because, we could read him because mm-hmm. again, he was numbered with the transgressors, and because he bore the sin of many, and because he made intercession for the mm. transgressors. Because of all these things. So it's, it's, we see the victory in verse 12, and then it backtracks and says, this is why he's going to have victory. Because he came, he died, he was numbered with it, he bore their sins, and then he, he bore their tra- sins as a sacrifice yeah. and as an intercessor. An intercessor. Yeah. And I thought it was really fascinating where uh, Albert Barnes comments, you know, for Seventh-day Adventists, we say, intercessor, yeah, Jesus, our great high priest, and his final work of atonement in the holy pla- yeah. most holy place of Adventist sanctuary, yeah. right? This foreign but, concept to a lot of Christians. But, yeah. but, but Albert Barnes, in his commentary on Isaiah 53, verse 12, who's a non-Seventh-day Adventist, says, it may not refer here to the mere act of making prayer or supplication but rather perhaps to the whole work of the intercession in which the Redeemer, as high priest, 
presents the merit of his atoning blood before the throne of mercy and pleads for the people. Mm. This is the closing part of his work in behalf of his people and of the world. And the sense here is that he would be thus blessed with abundant and wide extended triumph, the victory, the spoils, because he made intercession. Beautiful. Well, and, and it, mm. we, we don't have Powerful time to get prophecy. into this, but the intercession of Christ as an extension of his death on the cross is not just a thing you can infer here. The New Testament makes that clear. They're always pointing not just to the back to the cross, but up to Jesus in the holy place, in the heavenly sanctuary. You know, yeah. we got to keep going. <laughs> well, so, I mean, that's, that's a synopsis of the chapter. And our conclusion is, as we're looking at this, you know, the question is asked, um, he's taken eight. from prison and judgment, unfair trial, he's cut off from the land of the living, who's going to declare his generation? And the implication is he's not going to have any offspring, he's dead, he's, who's going to declare his cause, who's left to, mm. you know, and he's not going to have any offspring, any children, what have you. But that question is answered when you come to verse 10 and he says, when you make his soul offering for sin, etc., he shall see his seed. What's his mm. seed? His descendants. His descendants, he's cut off, he's dead, he's going to have, who right. are his descendants? All those who are born of God. So the Bible's looking forward and saying he will have a seed to proclaim his generation. Those are his descendants. Those are the ones who are born of God, who are born again. That's you and me. We can declare his generation and be a part in in the salvation of souls. That's the great work of Jesus, and that's the great work that he established the church for. It's incredible. Friends, this chapter is so rich and so fruitful of good conversation and good study that this is going to be a fantastic study, just personally, but especially in our Sabbath school classes. So God bless you as you prepare. Sorry we took a little bit extra time this week. Sorry, but not sorry. It's good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But we do need to close now, so let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this rich study that you've blessed us with. Thank you for not just the literary insights and and the interesting prophecies, but for the fulfillment of it in Christ. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for his success. And thank you for his continued ministry of intercession on our behalf today, that we can have the joy that was laid before Christ. Help us to be those who will declare his generation. Lord, help us not only to receive, but to give this message. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.